0: We are on page 6 of the Church Bibles, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. So, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehujel. Mehujel was the father of Methushel, and Methushel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who p- play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times.'" Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord.
1: Hannah, thank you for reading. leaving evening, everybody. Um, I haven't got a great memory So, back to the picture. So, we were bending a bend of the road, and on the road, there is a, a builder's yard. And on this particular day, we noticed that it, it was on fire. Um, smoke was billowing, and you can imagine, as a 10-year-old boy, this was kind of slightly scary, but also quite exciting. Uh, so, the whole road was closed off. Uh, two or three fire engines came along. Uh, the whole street was out, gathered, uh, witnessing this uh, spectacle And then afterwards, once uh, all the dust had settled, um, obviously everyone was very interested in in what happened, Uh, particularly the insurance company were very interested to know why this fire had started. And so the firemen went back through the wreckage, uh, piece by piece, tracing what had happened. And they eventually discovered that in a sunlight in the roof, the sun must have been beaming down and caught the edge of a sofa on fire just as you might do, I guess, with a magnifying glass and a leaf on the ground. If you've been here for the past um, few weeks, um, then you'll know we've been tracing our way back uh, to the beginning of time. And if you were here last week, then you would have seen how sin entered the world as, as Adam and Eve, deceived by the devil, disobeyed God by eating from the tree of life and so found themselves facing the consequences of what they'd done. Separated from the presence of God, life on earth now tainted, and the prospect of death awaiting them. If Genesis 3 was a bit like that shaft of light coming through the skylight, catching the corner of a sofa, then what we start to see today in chapter 4 is the sofa going ablaze, is the room catching a light, as the fire of sin and death spreads There's a sense in which all of us now are caught up in that blaze because of Adam's actions. But as we'll see today, actually all of us have an individual response, a way that we all can reject or submit to God's rule. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. And we're going to do so with a couple of headings which you may find helpful. We're going to think about the depths of human sin and its consequences. And then secondly, we're going to see Thankfully, the heights of God's grace and its consequences. So firstly, the depths of human sin and its consequences. You'll see the chapter starts with the first human birth ever recorded. And the first family unit is formed. Let me read again from the start of the chapter. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In many ways it's quite a happy start, isn't it, as Eve's firstborn son arrives. No doubt the birth uh, done with pain, as laid out in the curse from the previous chapter. But Eve recognized does didn't she, that this baby has been born with the help of the Lord God. And then sometime later a second son, Abel, is born So in Cain and Abel, we have the second generation of humanity. And actually, you might have seen by the end of the chapter, we've reached the seventh generation from Adam and Eve in the children of Lamech. So life outside the garden has begun. And those tasks that were given to Adam and Eve back in chapter 2, to be fruitful and subdue the earth, get underway. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil but also, you'll have seen, sin is also taking root and growing too. Let me read the next couple of verses. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel in his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So clearly the relationship between man and God was not completely broken. There was a need to bring uh, sacrifices to God as offerings. And I wonder what you made of that interaction when we were reading it. Because on first glance, it may seem a bit arbitrary or even unfair that God looks favorably on Abel's offering, but not on Cain's. And from Cain's reaction, that's clearly what he thought as well. But actually there's a hint in the text that shows us what's going on underneath the surface. You may have picked up on it. See, Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And we learn later in the Bible that the fat portions of an animal were the best parts, the choice cuts. And it being from the firstborn of his flock was from the best of his animals and clearly offered at the start of his shepherding career. Well, in contrast, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil in the course of time. So the implication is that somewhere down the track in the harvest, not right at the start, Cain gathered up a few stalks of wheat or corn, whatever was growing at the time, and then brought them to God. Do you see the difference? Abel brought the first and the best to God, and Cain did not. And actually, the issue is made clearer when we get to the New Testament, the writer of the Hebrew, book of Hebrews puts Abel at the top of his great lists of people of faith. He says this, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. You see, it was a heart issue that was the difference. Abel's offering was done in faith, in worship of his creator God. Whereas Keynes was done, I guess, out of religious duty at best, or at worst, a kind of grudging afterthought. I think it's worth pausing on that just for a moment and asking that question of ourselves do we ever do this in our own lives? Do you think we find ourselves seeking to serve God out of duty or habit rather than faithful love? Are we giving God the best of our time, the the best of our energy, our money, our praise? Or do we just kind of give him whatever we've got spare, whatever we've got left at the end of the day? But actually that isn't the main issue that's going on here. Because it's not what Cain does here that is the main problem. It's his reaction that is the real issue. Let me read again from verse 5. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Cain had made a mistake in his offering to God, but his response is not one of contrition and remorse. It's one of envious rage and sullen resentment. And God pleads with him, doesn't he? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Here Cain's got an opportunity to learn and grow and put it right. He's got the capacity to change and next time to be accepted as Abel was. But here's the warning that God gives him. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God gives Cain an illustration of sin and he describes it as a destructive, predatory animal. Waiting to seize him and devour him. I wonder if anyone saw a video that was doing the rounds this week um, of a family who were driving through a safari park in the Netherlands and they thought it would be a good idea to get out of the car with their little kids to take some photos of the cheetahs. It is a crazy scene and they were very, very lucky to be alive to have run back to the car before the cheetahs pounced. Sin is there all the time, waiting to pounce on us. And God says, stay in the car. Don't open the door. Don't do it. Keep moving away from it. Because if you don't get to grips with it, it will have you. If you don't protect yourself from it, if you don't flee from it, then it will take control of you. But sadly, Cain doesn't listen to God's warning, does he? In the very next verse, we read, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The first man born of a human becomes the first man to take another human's life it's the first murder and then the first lie to try and cover up what he's done these are hard ugly verses to read and I think they should rightly terrify us it might seem easy still to think this is a bit far off from us this is thousands of years in the past and maybe we're a long way off from being murderers But actually, in the New Testament, the Apostle John brings this closer to home. He says this, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brother's were righteous. I think when we look at Cain, when we see the pattern of what he's done, the pattern of his behaviour then we start to see it in ourselves as well. If you look at what what he does, it starts with, with envy. It starts with Cain looking on his brother and being jealous of what he had, resenting, feeling unfair at what had gone on. And then that leads, doesn't it, to anger, frustration, fury at this injustice that he perceived. And then it carries on to plotting, did you see how this wasn't a random act of violence? No, no, he, he said to Cain, he said to Abel, rather, let's go into the field. This was a plan, this was premeditated, what he decided to do. And then action. He takes the life of his brother. And finally, the lying. They're trying to cover it up. Have you ever found yourself somewhere on on that path? I know I have. Perhaps you're on it now yourself. Because what we see here is not just breakdown between man and God. What we have here is the relationship between one another, between people that is breaking. This is brother against brother. This is love against hate. This is friends to enemies. This is arguments. This is wars. This is fights. This is social division. This is abuse, and so on, and so on, and so on. You see, what we're talking about now is no longer that first bite of the forbidden fruit in the garden. We are on our way down now, the slippery slope, which is the only way sin ever takes us. This is not that first bite. This is, it's that second lustful glance across the room at someone you can't have. It's that third derogatory comment that you make about a work colleague that you're trying to get ahead of. It's that fourth argument with a housemate when we just don't get our way. It's that fifth little white lie to cover our tracks again. We mustn't fool ourselves in thinking that sin doesn't matter, that we can play with it, that we can dabble with it. God says if we don't master sin... Sin will rule over us. Its desire always to, is to have us completely. And if you're a believer here tonight, then you'll know that battle within us between the Holy Spirit leading us to do the right thing, to love instead of hate, and our sinful nature all the time dragging us down away from what is good. And going the way of sin always has consequences. And we see them laid out for Cain here. And whoever finds me will kill me. See, just as in the garden, God knows what has happened. Abel's blood cries out to him from the ground. No life is ever lost without God knowing and caring about it. And so another curse is issued. first to a man. Cain will wander the earth because the ground which he had once worked for food will no longer do so. But still, still, Cain's response is not one of repentance or a cry for mercy or even acceptance, as Adam and Eve did. Cain gives another sullen complaint, thinking again of himself and his future above anything else. This is a sorry picture, isn't it? But I think it's one that we can recognise in ourselves and in the world around us. I wonder what might be popping into your head as we go through some part of your life that perhaps you're conscious of, that you're not quite in control of what you're doing, where self-interest maybe gets the better of you too many times. It's a sorry picture, but thankfully it's not the only picture that we see here, because secondly we see the heights of God's grace and its consequences. Let me read on from verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over, Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. In the light of all that has happened, all that Cain has done, it is extraordinary that God would now show him mercy. Because though Cain has forsaken God, God has not forsaken him. Cain did go out to wander the earth as God had said. Nod, you'll see there where Cain ends up, that means wandering, it's a picture of his restlessness. But see also that God gives him a mark that would stop people from killing him, as Cain had feared. I expect if you were to go on holiday to Russia this summer during the World Cup, you would see people from different countries, and it would be easy to spot them by their their football shirts, the colours of their flags or their face paints. Even though they'd be far from home, you would know exactly which countries they were from. And that's a little bit like what God does here for Cain. We don't know exactly what kind of mark it was. It might have been clothing. It might have been something on his face or body. But whatever it was, it would have been clear to others that he was not to be messed with. I think that's an extraordinary kindness of God, isn't it? Even though God, even though Cain had taken the life of another, God protects his life. And his grace doesn't stop there. You'll see the passage goes on. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. Enoch was born Erad and Erad was the father of Mahujael, And Mahujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. So God gives Cain a wife and children. More than that, he gets a lineage. He gets five generations of descendants listed here. So we're not quite, we don't know where Cain's wife came from exactly. It's not explicit here. It's not worth spending much time on. But what is clear is that that decree back from the earlier chapters for mankind to be fruitful and increase in number, it's being played out, isn't it? This is what we see in Cain and his family. And secondly, you'll see that Cain is building a city. So despite being a wanderer, Cain starts to form a settlement of some sort. I mean, he's clearly still thinking of himself, probably thinking a city would give him a bit more protection. Uh, and clearly he's named it after his son. He wants to build a legacy for himself, doesn't he? But this is clearly further kindness from God, isn't it? And a third sign of God's mercy is seen in the children of Lamech in verses 19 to 22. Just have a look down with me. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and I'm a big fan of Jubal, because he was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zilla also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. So here we see the first civilization forming. It's got tent makers... It's got farmers, it's got tool makers, it's got industry, it's got employment, and it's got culture, hasn't it? It's got music, and then no doubt artists and storytellers and so on would follow. This is a world that spiritually has forsaken God, and yet he still blesses them with families and and homes and food and water and technology and entertainment. This is what you might call God's common grace. You might have heard that phrase before. In the mix of sin and rebellion, God still gives people in this world good things. And this is the world we live in, isn't it? This is our world. A crazy mix of of good and evil, of wonder and of horror. If you looked at the BBC website over the weekend, you, you could have delighted in things like this. You could have seen a royal wedding. Maybe you watched it. You could have seen an FA Cup final, enjoyed that, or less so. Anyone he supported. You could have seen a story like that chap there who was a Somalian refugee, now become the Lord Mayor of Sheffield. A great story. Great things to enjoy, isn't it? And if we believe this here tonight, we can be thankful to God for those things. We can see his grace to us and praise him for us. Those things that we enjoy every day. But this weekend, you could have also read some other things. You could have read about the reality of modern slavery that still exists around the world. The fallout continues, doesn't it, from the Me Too campaign. And just yesterday, another school shooting in America. You've got love and you've got hatred side by side, don't you? It can seem such a muddle at times, doesn't it? But I guess if we know ourselves, then we can feel this muddle, this mess in ourselves. And we can see why the world is like it is. So if we're believers again tonight, we can pray for God to act against the sin in the world, in our lives and in the world around us. We're almost at the end, but we're going to finish with two quick pointers, two threads that we've seen and how they keep going, we see greater grace and greater sin. See, verses 23 and 24, we get a strange and chilling poem from Lamech to his two wives. Two wives, by the way, another sign of the drift away from God's original plan of one man and one woman. But see what he said to them. Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Lamech boasts here that he has killed a young man in response to what he's done to him. Retaliation that far outweighs what has happened. And he revels in it. This is a song. This is pride. This is mocking even God's protection of Cain and declaring his actions to be ten times worse. It is a desperate picture of what lies ahead still of the world, which we'll see more of next week. But see, the chapter ends with a thread of hope. Verse 25, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. The scene swings back to Adam and Eve, and God has given them another son, Seth, in some sense to replace Abel. And Seth is vitally important because it's through his line that people begin to call on the name of the Lord. Because what is ultimately being established here in this chapter is the two paths that are available to humanity. You've got the way of Cain and Lamech, that of unbelief and rejection of God. And you've got the way of Abel and Seth, that of faith and obedience, of calling on the name of the Lord. And that way of Abel ultimately points us to the only one in whom we can find forgiveness and acceptance again from God. The only one who can help us to live lives of selfless love. Back in the book of Hebrews, we see these words. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, Abel offered a lamb to God in faith. And Abel's innocent blood was shed at the hands of one who should have loved and protected him. Jesus was the Lamb of God, without blemish or defect, offered in perfect obedience to his Father. It is his innocent blood that speaks a better word than that of Abel, because it offers. All who put their trust in him are way back to God. Our world is still full, isn't it, of restless people. Anxious, lost, angry, wandering away from their creator God. I know I still feel like that in myself at times. Maybe you do too. But Jesus offers a different way. The only way to find true peace and freedom from the clutches of sin. And he offers us another mark of protection, the Holy Spirit. This time one who will keep us through death and back to the tree of life. So let's come to God like Abel by faith and asking for his help by his spirit to master sin in our lives that we would follow him in love and obedience, living for his name and not our own. close our service in a short moment but why don't we just take a minute to reflect perhaps god has been putting things on your hearts areas of your life that you know you need to bring to him you might find the question at the bottom of your postcards helpful as you do that let's just take a moment now of silence